Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to see you, Matt. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, has biked on into work and is ready to do a podcast. Robert, good to see you. I didn't actually bike in this, but thanks for the thought. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, but hello, everyone. <laughs> boo Come on, it's January 18th. You should be biking. <laughs> we have a number of topics we're going to talk about, but we have a special guest to talk about our first topic, which is the big Senate race that happened this week. And our guest is Eric Kudo. He's the executive director of Wisconsin Progress. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Woohoo! Woohoo, yeah. So <laughs> look, um, SD10, this is uh, Senate District 10, which had a special election this Tuesday. We've talked about it quite a bit, actually, on the podcast, talked about it last week, have been encouraging members to make calls into the, uh, into the district. Well, we had a big, huge victory this week. It was, um, we had hoped that we could maybe pull a close one. This is a very Republican district, but we actually won, won the race large, uh, what, we had 55% yep. for, for Patty. So this didn't just happen out of nowhere. There's obviously a huge national wave going on, but want to talk a little bit more with you about actually how there were a lot of sort of progressive groups and how we actually were prepared in some ways for this and, sure. and, and how we took advantage of that tide. So Eric, tell us a little bit about particularly uh, how we took advantage of this opportunity. And it starts with candidate recruitment. Yeah, I mean, it started honestly six years ago. Um, six years ago was the first time that I went up to that district um, as a staff member of Wisconsin Progress, so well before I was the executive director. And, you know, it really starts on the ground. It starts by talking to local folks, by talking to local elected officials, activists on the ground, folks who, you know, want to be engaged but don't know how to do it and don't know who to do it with. And so, you know, for years we've been working our local candidate program uh, in that district and districts all across the state. And that really gave us a unique opportunity to start finding folks that were ready to run for higher office, you know, folks like Patty Schachner. It's worth pointing out, Senate District 10 is one of those districts that's, and uh, Politico kind of talk, has always sort of been in a second tier since it was redistricted. Mm -hmm. One that's not one that we've ever really thought was in play, but one that we thought like, hey, if everything was going right, we need to be in a place. So certainly this explains some of the, some of the how it will be targeted, but like your point about how you have to go about actually working in these districts is important. Um, talk more about that. Sure. So, you know, this isn't a matter of just dropping in at the last minute. Right. Um, you know, we have staff. You know, I was up there for a number of years. Uh, Amelia Neus, who's on our staff, is up there now. Um, you know, and it's about keeping constant contact with folks on the ground. You know, you can't live everywhere, but we have cars. And so we drive to these districts and we spend time, you know, days and days working with local activists, working with, as I said, local elected officials, talking about what's important in that district. You know, it's, that's, SD10, it's a difficult place. It is not close to Milwaukee. It's certainly not close to Madison. Uh, it's in the Minneapolis media market. And so they don't get a lot of, you know, quote unquote, Wisconsin love. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, big coverage of the Vikings game last weekend <laughs> when I was up there, um, unfortunately for me. Um, but, you know, it's 
it's sort of a far-flung, forgotten part of the state, um, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of fantastic people up there, um, you know, who just sort of feel like they've been left out. And so what we've done over the years is spend time with them and, and try to figure out, you know, what makes um, Hudson different from Menominee, different from, um, you know, North Hudson and Somerset and all these little towns that, you know, people don't traditionally go to, but, you know, they have school boards, they have city councils, they have, you know, taxpayers and families and, and everything that you have everywhere else. Um, and so, you know, what we do is we spend time with them. We spend time trying to figure out what makes them tick. And, and you know, we, we don't come with answers. You know, we come with suggestions. And, and we really listen to the things that are important on the ground. And, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but, you know, some of the real successes in this race were the fact that, that local folks were involved in every aspect of this race. This wasn't a... You know, when you're doing calls at night and you're trying to do updates and you're trying to keep track of what's going on on the ground, this wasn't run out of Milwaukee and Madison. This was run uh, with two women in particular, you know, Katie and Kathy, um, who were on these calls every night and were part of all the decision making that was happening. And it gave us a lot of course corrections, you know. Yeah, what I think is um, so compelling about this, and I think will be interesting to folks who aren't from SD10, but throughout the state who listen to the podcast or on the radio or people even outside of Wisconsin, is this part of the story that maybe isn't being told in the national media, which is what happened on the ground uh, in terms of this grassroots local campaign from soup to nuts. So, you know, you spoke about the long recruitment process and engaging local folks in that. Uh, but even the volunteer process, and I know there's a lot that Citizen Action did that I would love to hear about, um, but that to me is a huge part of the story, particularly when you consider how much outside <coughs> money came in on the other side, that this was the first race where Americans for Prosperity Wisconsin endorsed, obviously, our opponent, uh, and there was a lot of outside money spent. You mentioned um, the Twin City media market, you know, particularly on TV, and yet it was you know, the local people deciding to run, local folks on the calls every night, local activists doing some of the grassroots work that you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more from Matt about that outdid all of this outside money, DC money, Wall Street money that was spent in this race. Well, like it, it, and it does start with a good candidate, right? It starts with a candidate who actually has a track record. I mean, we're talking, Patty was the medical examiner mm -hmm. and was is firsthand on the ground experiencing the opioid crisis, right? And experiencing the impacts of what, when we have fundamental gaps in our healthcare system um, and people sleep at the switch, what that means. So she was, and again, this gets back to having really good folks from the community who are then prepared to run, right? Who are properly trained, who, you know, understand what it's gonna take. So when this opportunity opens up where we have a candidate or a senator who gets moves on and, and creates this opportunity that we can respond when we have a, what was 60 day window of an election, which is an incredibly compressed timetable. And that requires a candidate who's at least prepared. And then, as you mentioned, people on the ground who are also ready and organized. Right. I mean, you know, referencing the two women I referenced earlier, um, Katie and Kathy, both of them are local elected officials. So Kathy is on the, uh, on the board in North Hudson. Katie's on the school board in Somerset. They've both gone through Wisconsin Progress trainings. They've both been working with us for years. Um, you know, it's not just the candidates that are trained. It's not just the candidates 
that are running the show. I mean, we because we've been up there so long, because we because we've been in places around the state for so long, you can look to a candidate for a training, but you can also look to sort of a cadre of other individuals around that candidate that have been trained, that have experiences, um, and are you know, and are super engaged. And so, you know, it's it's a team effort. It really, really is. And I think, you know, just to underscore my last point uh, once more, you know, to, to your point, Matt, a 60-day election, which is positively undemocratic, right? A uh, 60-day election, and volunteers locally truly mobilized uh, and went out and spoke to their neighbors, mm-hmm. and they were able to knock on thousands of doors in the middle of the Wisconsin winter in a very short amount of time. And, you know, I definitely think that that's something that hasn't been um, quite as noticed in some of the media reports and is like critically important and something that we need to take with us if we're going to ride the wave uh, for the elections this fall. Yeah, I mean, there were, you know, to your point, there were a ton of local volunteers. I mean, and folks who came out in, I mean, it was cold here. It was colder there. Yeah. Um, you know, came out in negative 25 and were knocking doors all day long through snowstorms. Um, and that matters. You know, that that contact, the, you know, not the I'm Eric from Milwaukee coming up to knock on your door, the, you know, I'm Kathy from down the block and I'm knocking on your door. That, that is an entirely different ballgame in these races. Yeah, and some of our members at the Western Wisconsin Co-op were actually volunteering in the canvas, but then members across the state, particularly the ones in our Healthcare for All organizing co-op, were making phone calls. And I made some of those phone calls, and it was shocking for a special election how many of our targeted voters already knew about the election mm-hmm. and were planning to vote. It was, it seemed as high as a general election among our targeted voters. It clearly wasn't for the whole electorate because it was still low turnout, right, because it was a special, uh, which we expect, but it's about, you know, who's motivated and who isn't, right? And there was a, just a blitzkrieg of negative stuff that came out from the right-wing groups. Mm-hmm. People were asking me on the phone, oh, uh, is it true she stole money from the school? And, you know, of course, I didn't know what this charge was. Sure. You had to navigate that <laughs> sure. and say, well, you, we don't talk about that, but you shouldn't probably, you'd probably take a grain of salt something that comes in your mailbox the last minute personally attacking either of the candidates. Uh, so, I mean, there was something going on here. It was, I mean, obviously, it seems like the tsunami, the surge the media wants to talk to partly motivated volunteers, mm-hmm. right, and activists. Because you guys were up there in 16 as well, and it, right. it didn't go as well. So right. you yeah. had the infrastructure. So something's going on. But I'm a little concerned that we we know right now, like I think Walker maybe loses if the recall occurs quickly enough. So the question is, will November be as good? I think that's a big question. We can't take that for granted that this is a tsunami that's just going to lift us over, which is what you and Rebecca are talking about, that a lot of people had to do things, but we still have to keep this going through November if we're going to actually change control of the governorship, the legislature, Congress, etc. So we're going to get Eric's response. Eric, can you stick with us for another segment? I'll stick with All you. All right. Very good. So again, we are uh, Citizen Action, and this is Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Right before the break, Robert had, I think, rightfully pointed out, right, like it is still January. We see a tsunami, but November's a bit away, and there, this doesn't mean all this is just going to happen. There's a lot that has to happen uh, b- before November, right, and a lot of work, right? Eric, your response. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree completely. No, it's... 
you know, it was a unique situation. It was a unique special election. There were uh, a lot of folks from a lot of organizations that stepped up, certainly citizen action. Um, there will be more races this fall, and you won't be able to just send everyone to one spot. You know, you're going to have to be prepared to help folks, you know, you know obviously in, in different parts of the state, but probably in your own home, you know, your own district, uh, because there'll be people running everywhere. You know, we are happily inundated with candidates right now. Um, you know, a couple hundred for the spring, and recruitment for the fall is going incredibly well, and I suspect we'll probably get better. Yeah, um, that, that is one of the big things, right? This is amazing for getting activists excited and feeling like a, something is possible where even before maybe you had uh, be concerned because of gerrymandering or whatever, right? This certainly is going to fire people up. Robert? Yeah, it also is firing up uh, right-wing donors. And so Walker is calling the emergency call as well. And there's just like a massive money advantage. It's getting like the 1890s as far as the deregulated campaign finance system, how big the advantage is mm -hmm. of Republicans and the Koch brothers. One spin in this that concerns me, and, and you're a pr political professional who's dug in on this district, there's a spin in this race that this has to do with suburban voters and not rural voters, that it's the suburban affluent Minneapolis suburbs that they lost, not rural voters. And of course, that would not be typical in Wisconsin. In other words, if there really wasn't a surge among rural voters, that would be a concern for November. So I know you haven't had a chance by to dig into all the numbers yet, but what is your sense on how how broad this was and whether this has included rural voters? You know, I think that the, the quote that Jenny Dye has, who's the executive director of the, the Senate uh, State Senate Democratic Committee, was, you know, she was asked, where did you overperform? Where in the district did it go well for you? And the answer is everywhere. We overperformed everywhere, not just in Hudson, not just in St. Croix County, you know, overperformed in Polk, uh, overperformed throughout the entire district. And I think it, it speaks to the fact that, you know, uh, Representative Jarkow and, and Governor Walker and the rest of them don't listen to people in the state. They have bosses, and the bosses are not the citizens of the state of Wisconsin, unfortunately. And so, you know, when when the the pendulum swings, when the wave comes, um, and it looks like it's here, um, it doesn't discriminate. You know, it doesn't care um, if you're rural or if you're urban. I mean, I, she. She won for a number of reasons. I fully believe that one of the main reasons that she did win and did, and did do as well as she did is because she was authentic. She was from the district. She was a, you know, came from a dairy farm. She, um, you know, was working poor. For Which a, is a rural profile. Right. Not Turns a suburban. Out it's not a suburban. Yes. Not a lot of dairy farms in the suburbs. Right. Um, <laughs> because you know, we have Jason Stein, Journal Sentinel. Trump is a suburban kinda... sucker punch for Walker Republicans. See what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, and then he says we have to look I, at Waukesha. Is Waukesha really the battlefield for... I believe, for, I believe River West will have a dairy yeah. farm shortly yeah. in it. If left to your own devices, you'd be very well made. Yes. No, I mean, it's, it is... Um, you know, there are suburban factors at play, you know, like I can't deny that. But there there's also, a, you know, serious pushback. Uh, you know, there are a number of candidates that we are looking at for the legislature um, that are coming from rural areas. There are farmers that are sort of the forgotten folks in this entire thing. Um, and they're fed up. You know, they they want someone in Madison 
and someone in Washington to pay attention to them, not just feed them lines. And, you know, we saw that up north. We're going to see that farther south. Um, you know, it's, it's going to hit it everywhere. I, can I pick yeah. on something there? You know, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, a local candidates authentic to the district, uh, local volunteers. But I also want to spend just a moment talking about local issues because that's another thing that hasn't really gotten a lot of press. Uh, and I see this as a uh, continuation of what we were discussing last week with the um, e mass exodus of Republicans from D.C., given the new reality of what we think is this wave. And one of the things I said last week is that you can't represent both capital and your constituents. And I think we saw this again in this race where we had the Republicans having to uh, be called to account for anti-environmental, anti-conservation votes that they've taken in the state house in Madison as part of the Walker corporate agenda. And local folks, not just suburban, but rural folks throughout the district are very angry about this. And then the other issue I want to point out, uh, going back to Robert's point about outside money coming in, you know, outside conservative groups funded an attack ad that called out our Democratic candidate for, um, you know, allegedly being in debt to the school, the, the school district for not being able to pay for her school lunches. And there's an article, I think it might have been in the, the Cap Times or the Journal Sentinel, uh, where our candidate, Patty Schachter, talks about how she was stopped by a woman in the grocery store who said, you know, I saw that ad, and that's me. Mm -hmm. I can't pay for my school lunches, and I'm voting for you. Yeah. And that is a rural story, and I think to what Eric said about, you know, folks are fed up, and they want someone who understands their story and is going to represent them. That is as rural as it comes. I mean, people are really struggling in this state, and what the outside conservative groups don't get is that you can't attack Democratic candidates for struggling, just like the rest of us. If anything, that's going to endear them to voters. And also that there, you can only spend so much money, I mean, you know, at the point where Republican conservative issues are coming home to roost and the impacts are being felt, whether it's national issues like taking away our health care or local issues like attacking our environment and conservation uh, so you don't have clean water to drink. Those are issues that it's very hard to outspend on the political side to make people forget that that's what you did. Absolutely. And, and we've talked about this in the past. Well, one, we talked about the local issues. We've talked a lot about how one of the, the top issues our Western Wisconsin co-op organizes around is, is these constant, these agri these huge factory farms, right? The, the and and it, it, it's huge, right? And so these kinds of issues, right, the Republicans are on the wrong side of. The other thing I want to follow up on is your, this thing about there's a diminishing return with how much money you can spend. Robert, you were talking about all the money Walker's going to have. It reaches diminishing return, right, particularly if there's another voice out there, particularly on the doors, having personal individual contacts, talking to your neighbors, that cuts through a lot of that. It also can inoculate by actually having conversations about it. When Robert talked about, he was on the phone, he's like, ah, oh, come on, that's a mail. Do you, would you believe any mail that comes to that? That's inoculation, right? That helps that person process that information and then go back to, oh, and by the way, right, like the reason I'm volunteering is because I'm give a shit about healthcare, and I'm really deeply concerned about what's going on. And, and that, oh, like that cuts through all of that money, right? And so this gets back to Eric's point. We have got to be serious this election cycle about working in our communities and our neighborhoods and getting out and having these conversations. And that includes in these red areas, right? These supposed red areas where 
this is going to not only be a different environment, but it's an opportunity for us to build organization and relationships and, and networks that can cut through some of this stuff. Um, and so this is very exciting and what I think is the biggest opportunity that I see coming out of SD10. And we should be fired up about that. And people should be excited about what maybe they can do in their communities that they never thought was possible two months ago. I mean, to sort of, you know, to put a bow on all of this, to all of your points, right? There was a woman that sat across from me um, over the weekend into Monday. Her name is Virginia. Virginia lives uh, next to a massive farm. Uh, they have about 2,500 head uh, of dairy, and they were looking to go to about 8,800. Um, you know, Virginia was in that office making phone calls to her neighbors because there had been a number of dumps of manure, of spills of manure into what is basically, you know, her tap, you know, her water supply. Um, you know, and I was, we were talking and she's like, well, my, you know, my, my well is about 200 feet deep, but there are people whose wells are much, you know, <clears throat> much uh, much shallower, thank you, much shallower uh, than 200 feet. And frankly, we're worried about drinking cow poop, right? And, you know, Jarkow, the governor, Republicans in Madison. Jarkow was the Republican in the race. Yep, Adam, Adam Jarkow was a Republican and is sort of on the tip of the sword of anti-environmental legislation along with Senator Tiffany uh, from the northeastern part of the state. And these people were out there, and they were upset because they just, they don't listen. They don't care. You know, they don't care that Virginia, who's lived in her home for 50 years, uh, doesn't want to drink crap in her water, literally. And so, you know, they go to their local government, and their local government says, I'm sorry, there's not much we can do because the DNR really doesn't care because they've been gutted. And so, you know, to put a bow on it, I mean, it's rural, it's folks on the ground, it's local issues, those are the things, you know, that the Republicans have completely forgotten and the citizens are, are fed up. So, folks, we're going to have to wrap this up. But before we go, um, I want to encourage people to really seriously consider your leadership in running for office. Um, we need more people. And that doesn't mean this year. Think about 2019, 2020, your local school board, maybe your local council, your, your county board. Um, more of us and people who share our values need to run for office because we actually can inspire people. So please, get if you're interested, you can reach out to Wisconsin Progress, the, the, the website again. WisconsinProgress.org. Beautiful. Eric, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we obviously appreciate the work you do in terms of recruiting folks and that you took the time to join us today. Thank you. Excellent. And with that, we got to get out of here again. We are the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Eric Kudo for joining us. We had a, a good discussion about SD10 and what that means for 2018. And we're going to keep talking about 2018 elections because, hey, it's, it's hot. It's an important thing. And in particular, we want to talk about the governor's race. But we're going to do that by starting uh, Governor Walker had a response to SD10, which uh, I think is very revealing about potentially the state of his candidacy, Rebecca. Yeah, and, and before I read some of the <laughs> tweets, um, the Senate Minority Leader here in Wisconsin, uh, Senator Schilling, called it Let me see, I, unhinged late-night Twitter storm, and that's exactly what it was. So there, it wasn't one tweet. There were like half a dozen tweets, um, most of which started with all caps, 
wake up call. So like truly um, losing his mind. He was clearly awake late night. Clearly he was, he was awake and he was freaked out. Um, so here are, here are a couple of the tweets. One reads, Senate District 10 special election win by Democrat is a wake up call for Republicans in Wisconsin. And then he goes on to do wake up call talks about you know what they're doing with the UW system as if it's a good thing. Wake up call, uh, you know, invested more money in schools than ever before, which is just such a Trumpian <laughs> lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It it's doesn't. Going to be great. Yeah, it's excellent. In fact, there's no. There hasn't been any president who is less racist than Donald Trump. Yeah, right? yeah. Like that. yeah. It's exactly like that. And then <laughs> you know, wake up call. We can't assume people know the good things we're doing for Wisconsin. Share the good news, which is really so funny and then you know wake up call help us share the good news donate to my campaign <laughs> so you know, that, that's actually an evangelical line the good news <laughs> is usually that, that the gospel you know. yeah. yes exactly wake up call you guys have been in complete charge for what eight years now control almost all the sources of communication in terms of what we're talking about, what gets up for legislation, everything. This is your record, wake-up call, right? Like, I mean, get the message out. This is like the best-toned PR machine, Walker's machine, and the Republican machine in this state ever that I'll, the state has seen. I'll date myself. <laughs> it's like the uh, Lost in Space sitcom, Danger Will Robinson. Remember the uh, robot? Danger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, his response, there's more than the tweets. You know, there's an announcement that they're going to open field offices in every county, uh, that they're staffing up. You know, of course, we know, and we'll talk a little bit more in a moment about the um, fundraising of the Democratic candidates, but Governor Walker has raised millions of dollars, you know, much of it from special interests. To spread the good news. To spread the good news. Um, but, you know, this is, people are not stupid. And, you know, just as we were talking about in the last segment about the um, efforts by Republicans uh, to help corporations and thereby pollute our water or thereby destroy our environment, uh, some of the other efforts of the Walker administration starving our public education system, I don't care what kind of ridiculous tweet he, he says, uh, gutting unions, all of the efforts that they made, the hugest transfer of wealth uh, between Foxconn and Governor Walker and the Paul Ryan tax plan, just giving all of our public money away to corporations. People are not stupid, and you can open all the field offices you want, but what's done is done, and you have to run on your record, and people are very unhappy in Wisconsin. Rebecca, you're you're going to further panic the Republicans with this, the people aren't stupid, because that's, that's, that's in their campaign their plan. strategy. In other words, <laughs> I, think, I think the people of Wisconsin this election, remember the fool, you, fool me once, shame on, on you, fool me twice, well, it was, there was another fool. I'd say this is the fool you the fourth time, it's definitely shame on me. So <laughs> you, You've but, added a nice yes, new one exactly, to this. Exactly, but... Long, this could be a yes, meme, I believe, a very long one. But... It's about the direction of the state, not about policy per se. And I'm not saying you're saying it is, Rebecca. I'm just, you know, drilling down, right? So literally, we're in the ninth year of a recovery, right? And wages are stagnant and falling. And whole parts of the state, people have to cobble together two or three jobs to live in that area. And Governor Walker's economic development policies do nothing for most of these areas, for the urban and rural areas that need opportunity. And he just runs around talking about the Wisconsin comeback and putting coasters uh, in front of millennials that they're supposed to move here, 
from the, from Chicago, from the, the white the white parts of Chicago, uh, rather than actually doing anything about expanding economic opportunity in the state of Wisconsin, because he doesn't have anything for them, mostly because he doesn't actually believe in using our Democrat government to do it. He believes in doling it out to big corporate interests and then cashing that in with campaign cash and uh, independent expenditures, which he thinks will bamboozle the people. I mean, I, I would be even, yeah, very true, I'd be even more harsh than that. Governor Walker has done more than nothing for rural areas. He has hurt rural areas. It is impossible to find teachers for rural school districts. People cannot afford gas to go to the grocery store. I mean, things are in such um, dire straits because of Walker policies that I totally agree it is about the direction of the state. And that's why we see people leaving the state, young people leaving the state. And meanwhile, as you said, Foxconn putting all of this money to benefit you know, young millennials from Chicago and maybe from Madison, spending all of this money advertising Madison. That's not what we need. While attacking it. While attacking um, it. So I also think, though, that we, we have to not fall into this trap that somehow the Doyle era was a golden age and we're just going to return to the Doyle era. So there were a lot of problems then that Walker has made much worse that you know, destroying unions actually made things worse because it's part of a strategy of lowering wages, right? Um, lowering the wages of teachers and destroying their ability to have a voice at work, which is what Act 10 was about, actually made things much worse. And now teachers have to hop from district to district, and districts they can't pay as much lose their teachers right away, right? Um, but we actually need, because we need a bold vision of what Wisconsin can still become. And so it's not about going backwards, but going forward. And we need to have the confidence. The biggest risk here is Democratic strategists, not all of them, but some of them, who will say, gee, it's such a tsunami. Things are going so well. Let's just run on nothing and just run against Walker. <gasps> it's a great, se you didn't, a great segue. <laughs> okay, I hope you didn't read the Maslin article. That, I didn't say, no. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't think Paul's No, he would never, <laughs> he's not, I'm kidding. All right, so I actually want to look forward because there will be messengers delivering this, this message, and that's the Democratic gubernatorial candidates. And uh, so their financing is in, at least where they're at as of uh, January. And so there's some interesting information in those numbers that we want to talk about. Um, first of all, there are, it looks like a number of candidates that are all sort of in the, the range of over 100,000 to about uh, the top fundraiser. Um, appears to be, well, Andy Gronick. Well, it's actually Dana Walks, excuse me, narrowly, if I'm correct, Dana Walks. This is not including Scott Walker, who has 7.2 million. Dana Walks has $555,000. Well, he, he, yep. he has spent, he has only on hand 162, so he has spent a lot of money, that's worth pointing out. Uh, Kathleen Vineout has raised 112, but only has 17 on hand. Kelda Roy's. This is very interesting. Um, someone who is late to the uh, has just recently joined, but has already raised one hundred and forty-seven, uh, one hundred and forty-seven thousand um, dollars, and has one hundred and fifty-one on hand. So uh, not burning through money, but that's interesting. Um, and we certainly know Kelda used to be on our, our uh, very involved in Citizen Action. Malin Mitchell raised three hundred ninety-five thousand. That's a, you know, and then still has two hundred about quarter million on hand. Mike McCabe, 104,000, has 21,000 on hand, so not a lot there. Andy Gronick, half a mil, over half a million, but only has uh, 97,000 on hand, so he's burning through uh, money. Uh, Matt Flynn, 350,000, 
over 300,000 on hand. Tony Evers, who there was a poll that came out this week and had him with a fairly significant lead, I want to say it was around uh, 30%. Um, he's raised over 340,000, has burned through quite a bit, has 115 on hand. It is worth pointing out, he significantly had more donors just in raw numbers, uh, over 2,500 donors. Uh, no one else has more than 1,000. Um, so that, that's noteworthy. Um, that he certainly has a diverser, a, a, a very diverse uh, pool of donors, uh, and maybe that's somewhat reflective in his early lead in the polls. But that's the fundraising. It's not everything, but everyone else, I'm assuming that I didn't name, has basically nothing or negligible. So there are your leaders into the around the first turn, Rebecca. Listen, this is a very strong field. I think Kelda Roy's a movement progressive, um, someone known to Citizen Action, uh, someone who's voted on the Working Families Party line in the past, raised uh, quite a bit of money for being a relatively recent entrant into the race. Uh, I think that she is someone to watch. Mela Mitchell, uh, you know, someone who is a working guy, union, uh, union leader, has raised uh, quite a bit of money as well. Uh, Dana Walks is running on a progressive platform, raised a lot of money, spent some. You know, we got to see how that pans out moving forward. Tony Evers, uh, statewide elected official, someone who's been a defender of public education, also raising um, a good amount of money. And so this is a very strong field. Uh, one thing I will say is with the fee so many people, you know, the efforts of Citizen Action and the Working Families Party, our Wisconsin revolution, indivisible across the state as part of Wisconsin's choice, is really critical to make sure our voice is heard, to ascertain what issues are are the ones that we want um, acted on. And so we've got events coming up in Stevens Point, Eau Claire, Kenosha. There's one uh, here in Milwaukee with the Citizen Action Healthcare Co-op on the 27th. Uh, and also there's a survey that we can put in the podcast notes, but everyone should be filling out the survey, getting involved. Uh, as we mentioned in the last segment in SD10, Walker is as vulnerable as ever. That's why he's tweeting um, like a maniac. And so we've got to get organized and make sure our voice is heard and push these candidates to be as bold as they need to be. And with that, we're going to have to get out of here. Rebecca's going to leave us for, we'll not be back for our last segment of the show, but we'll look forward to having her back next week. We'll talk more about that Healthcare Jeopardy event when we get back again. We are Citizen Action and this is Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also very active on Facebook. So we're going to just, uh, in our last segment, jump away from elections, and there was some news this week. It actually broke on Wednesday, and Robert, I felt like it was important that you educate our listeners a little bit, because this could be a little confusing. There's a, a congressional report and let's remember who runs Congress these days, uh, that came out that essentially said uh, Medicaid fraud is helping drive the opioid crisis, Robert. And this seems to just seems ridiculous given that Medicaid, if I'm correct, is like responsible for almost a third. Uh, it is w it's because of Medicaid that a third of opioid and, and people with real substance abuse um, get access to help. What's going on here? Tell us a little bit more about what this, where this report came from, and what it's this finding. What's well, wrong with and, it? And our own Senator Ron Johnson well, is quoted in these yeah. stories and had an op-ed in the Journal Sentinel so on I thought, Wednesday. So I thought our listeners would hear case. this. Yes. So it is the classic conservative 
you know, wrong is right, black is white, white is black kind of thing. It's reminiscent of their claim that Medicaid hurts people, that people are better off uninsured, uh, which, of course, begs the question why Republican governors and the Congress doesn't simply ban Medicaid because they don't really believe it. This is it. exactly what I thought yeah. of. I remember those comments before yeah. when, I, when I read this. I'm like, well, this is in this whole line that somehow providing people health care hurts them. It's ridiculous. So just to, to be, before we get into their argument, just to be clear, the only way to address a public health issue like the opiate epidemic is to prevent people from being addicted in the first place, which is a matter of having access to medical care, right? And then nip it in the bud early, and then and then also to treat it very aggressively once there's actually an addiction, right? Yep. Just like you would with the flu or any kind of epidemic, and we don't do that, right? Republicans like Walker love to call special sessions on opiates. Uh, Trump likes to declare an opiate crisis and then initiate a bunch of nice-sounding pilot programs that do nothing because they're not for using government to solve government public problems. So just starting out with that. So now we engineer this thing that the problem is Medicaid. So the problem is Medicaid, according to them, because there are there is some evidence in some states that entrepreneurs, I will call them that, right, are getting opiates that are prescribed to people on Medicaid and then selling them, right? Never mind the fact that there are doctors prescribing these opiates uh, to people who are then selling them, right? Never mind the fact that there are pharmaceutical companies that are profiting greatly from this and are yeah. behind this, it, both in terms of Medicaid and private pay, right? And you'll notice with private health insurance, it's not an issue. That's the private sector, only Medicaid, right? And therefore, the problem is Medicaid, and, and we shouldn't have had a Medicaid expansion, which is a bizarre set of claims. And it's just, I mean, quite frankly, we absolutely, uh, because of, of, of the position drug industry and because it's promoting a market so that, not, so that patients put pressure on doctors and doctors giving in, over-prescribe opiates, which is part of the problem, and we need to deal with that, right? But that means taking on the farm school industry and the medical establishment, right? And then, but... Overall, if someone is actually, forget about these, these cases of fraud they want to talk about, right? If someone uh, literally doesn't have health care, then they can't get treatment. And what we really need to do, because I do not want to say, because we have an opiate crisis now and we have Medicaid, though it's not at the, same, the level it should be in Wisconsin because we turned down the money, right? That we're still not doing enough. It needs to be, we need a universal prevention program that prevents addiction in the first place. And we need for treatment and everything short of treatment, every kind of intervention you have, clarity that it's paid for, that Medicaid pays for it and private insurance pays for it. And quite frankly, a lot of people who have private insurance have no idea whether it'll be covered. And that is a huge barrier. And of course, there's no interest in making insurance companies be clear about that because they love the idea of figuring out what claim to deny, not to deny, and, and put people to the rigmarole because they want people to seek less care. And so if we actually treat this like this really is like saying the reason we're getting the flu is because people have access to health care because some people get health, get the flu when they go to the doctor or the hospital. That's what this is like. So, folks, uh, if you hear about this, you can now understand a little bit more behind the study because it's certainly Senator Johnson is In pushing quotes. it out. Yeah, he's pushing it out. And so we just wanted to make sure you had a little more information on that. We'll have some links to that on our website. 
But with that, we actually uh, have a special guest who's going to join us uh, to talk a little bit more about a book club, and a, in particular, a book that a number of our organizing cooperatives are hosting a book club around, and that is the book Runaway Inequality. And so we have a special guest, that is Sue Anderson, and Sue is a Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative member who has been very active over the last year with a number of other members doing a deep dive on our economy and particularly looking at our neoliberal economy and starting to figure out not only what, what its shortcomings are, but how do we move forward and try to you know, have a, a different approach to the economy. So Sue, first of all, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit more first about what's happening on Sunday, and then where, where did this all, where, where did this come from, and, and, and how can people get involved? Okay, sounds great. <clears throat> so we are having, uh, at Citizen Action, at the Citizen Action office in the conference room on the first floor, that's 223 South 2nd Street, from 3 to 5 p.m., we are having what we're calling a book club meeting, um, where we will be discussing the book Runaway Inequality by Les Leopold. Now, it's not a lecture, it's a discussion, a facilitated discussion that I will be there and one of our other members, John Grove, to lead the discussion. Um, we've asked people to read the book in advance, but at this point we would also welcome anybody who wants to come by, um, whether you have read the book or not, because I think after participating in the discussion and listening in, you'll go buy the book and read it. Um, it's a very clear description of how we got to where we are. Um, the neoliberal agenda, the financialization, what, what Leslie Paul calls financial strip mining, um, with everything going to the top and the race to the bottom with everybody else. So it's very clear. Um, and, and I will say um, how I got involved in this back um, a year ago, I couldn't have told you what neoliberalism is. And I just kind of wondered what the heck is going on in this country. I thought I had my eyes open, but I realized I really didn't. And uh, I participated in this study group that was organized by Al Nichols, another member of the co-op. Uh, about 20 of us participated to learn more about neoliberalism and decided we need to spread this word and we need to get more of our organizing members and the general public to understand what's happening in our economy and how it's been happening for many years slowly but now it has picked up speed and is decimating our economy so well first of all it's 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 exciting to actually hear you tell your personal story that this was not something a year ago you fully appreciated because i think that, i think that gets to the heart of why this book club and what you're doing on sunday is important but then also what can come next and and I, I know we're really committed to try and build out trainings, you know, including like really mm -hmm. uh, shorter ones that people can come to start to understand this and then take yes. deeper dives. Yes. But we got to educate people a little bit more about sort of what is this economy that we're facing and what are the alternatives and how can we start to build, you know, really shared opportunity and prosperity for everyone. Exactly. I think, and then that's what happened when we finished this, the sessions that we did, the deep dive into neoliberalism, which was seven sessions, and then it was like, okay, well, now we have all been educated and have educated ourselves, now what? First of all, is to share it 
um, with more and more members and the general public, but also to get people to realize that, you know, we've got to get out of our silos, we've got to work together, we've got to create ways to take back our government and take back our economy, and we're not going to do that by sitting on Facebook and complaining. Well, first of all, really, really happy that uh, you got into the game and got involved in this. Um, and I also want to let our listeners know, um, we think so much of this work that this group is doing that we're going to try to figure out, and I, I was actually meeting with Al Nichols, you mentioned him uh, last night, uh -huh. about how we can start to try in our electoral work to strategically start to use these values and communication exactly. in our work, because um, that's how you know a lot of people uh, engage in elections. So um, really think this is important work you're doing. Again, let's remind our listeners about uh, this Sunday and uh, what time and where. Okay, it's from 3 to 5 p.m., and it will be exactly two hours. We won't run over. Um, it's at the Citizen Action um, office at uh, 223 South 2nd Street in Milwaukee, and somebody will be there to let you in a little bit before 3 o'clock and join us for an interesting discussion. And it is a discussion, as I said, uh, 3 to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Well, that's great, Sue. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and I hope everything no is a Anytime. wild success. Okay, great. Maybe we'll have you on later and talk more okay. about other uh, uh, things that are coming up with these study groups and trainings uh, for members. Okay, thanks, Matt. Thank you, Sue. Bye-bye. And with that, we got to bring this Battleground podcast to a close. I want to thank our guest, Sue Anderson, who was just with us in the of course, Eric Kudo from Wisconsin Progress. And as always, we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the show happen every week. And we will see you all here at the Battleground Wisconsin.